So I'm so angry, I could kill somebody. So we're talking about anger this morning, and I've enjoyed all week um, speaking that sentence to people here and there, and got some funny reactions. Uh, So Emma came in to work on the worship service this week, and we met, and she walked in the office, and I said, well, she said, hey, Paul, how are you? And I said, well, I'm so angry I could kill somebody. And of course, she said, well, I can come back. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I'm not angry, um, but my thoughts have been about anger all week, preparing to preach on it. And I'll tell you, there's too much to say this morning. There's a lot to say about anger and our lack of peace. You saw some of it in our call to confession of sin and the three questions from the Heidelberg Catechism, which I would encourage you to go back and look at on your own as it begins to put its finger on on what we're really called to be and how we're called to be in this world. And every one of us, I mean, we don't come close. None of us. And so there's somewhat of a somber tone to the sermon this morning. I'm going to try to keep it lighthearted, but it is a serious subject, and you should feel the weight of it. As we're looking to Scripture to see what the church is, and remember, we all have our own personal preferences about what the church should be and look like, even down to the facilities, the rooms, the carpet, the pews, the paint on the walls. But that's not the church that the Lord is concerned with. He's concerned with the people that are the church, their character, their faith, their very hearts. And so that's why we're meditating on the Beatitudes and on the Sermon on the Mount as He reveals to us the very character and nature of righteousness. And so this morning, we'll see that our anger and our insults are murder in the heart. That's what Jesus says. So give your attention. Matthew 5, verses 21 to 24. Jesus says to His disciples, You've heard that it was said to the people long ago, You shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Let's pray for the Lord's help in understanding His Word. Oh Lord, would You bring appropriate conviction of sin to our hearts this morning? Would You help us by Your grace to repent of poor character. And Lord, would you even work in us to restore relationships that have been broken by sin? And we ask this and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So there are some things in this life that are just within our reach. 
Uh, all of you can probably think back to a time as a child learning how to swim, maybe walking out into a pool or into a lake or maybe even out in the ocean and, and having that thrill of walking out as far as you can go to the point that you have to turn your chin upward and your nose upward and, and your water would be right below your nose and you're able to stand there for a minute and breathe. You're just able to get your nose above water. And kids will compete and see who can go out the furthest, right? Who wins the competition. Memories of childhood and raising children where maybe you hide the cookies and put them on the counter where they can't reach them and then eventually they get to where they can reach the counter and so you put it on top of the refrigerator until they're strong enough to push a chair over, and right? There are some things that are just within our reach, but there are some things that are far beyond our reach. For instance, trying to jump the Grand Canyon. The Grand Canyon averages a width of 10 miles. Okay, well, that's beyond reach for everybody. Or maybe swimming the Pacific Ocean. I mentioned that a few weeks ago in a sermon. You know, the Pacific Ocean is 12,300 miles. You're not going to swim that. I'm not going to swim that. There are some things that are just within our reach, and there are things that are beyond our reach. And that really is the context of what Jesus is doing here on the Sermon on the Mount. You see, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they had been teaching and communicating the law in such a way that kept it just within their reach. Just within their reach. And in that way, they controlled the law and they misrepresented the law to God's people. And now in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is coming and He's showing that it's a Grand Canyon. It's not what the Pharisees have been saying it is. It is righteousness is beyond our personal reach. We can't reach righteousness. Perfect righteousness. And that is the point in all that Jesus is saying here. The standard of righteousness is always beyond the personal reach of a sinner. Sounds like a simple point. But you would be amazed how many of us in the back of our minds like Pharisees, have said, well, we're just about there. We're not that unrighteous. And we leave it as if we can finish the job. And we become self-righteous in that way. I have five points for you this morning. Six quotes. It's a lot, but I hope that it's going to be helpful to you. The first point is this. There is a standard to be met. The Lord has given a standard for His people. And the standard is righteousness. Matthew chapter 5, verse 48 says, Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. There's the standard. Perfection, holiness, righteousness. You can use any of those words synonymously here. There's a standard of righteousness because our heavenly Father is Himself perfect. And we don't measure up to it. Not even close. So what you don't know, a story I've not told you, is that years ago when I was in college, I spent a summer in Atlanta, Georgia, working at Six Flags over Georgia. And I worked on what was a brand new roller coaster, almost brand new, it was like two years old. It was called the Georgia Cyclone. Some of you have ridden that. 
If there are any coaster enthusiasts, you know all about the Georgia Cyclone. Because at the time, it was the world, I think it was the world's fastest wooden roller coaster, hitting speeds of 50 miles an hour. And I used to be able to tell you the, the height of it and the descent of it and how it all worked. But I have, a very, I have a lot of memories of that summer. It was a fun summer. But one of my jobs on working on the roller coaster was to stand out in the queue line where all the people zig in and out waiting for their turn, right? And my job was to stand there with the stick, the measuring stick that was 48 inches tall exactly. And my job was anytime somebody came up, I was to hold the stick if it looked like they were close. And that standard had to be met. Unless, of course, like the one father who I measured his son, and I said, I'm sorry, he's not tall enough to ride this ride. And he said, let me see that stick. And he tilted the stick, shortening it, and said, he can ride this ride. And I said, you're tilting the stick. He can't ride this ride, and it's for his own safety, right? And so we had a little safety talk right there. We will tilt the stick and measure ourselves in such a way that we think we're okay. But righteousness is beyond our personal reach. Romans chapter 3, verse 10 says, There is no one righteous. No, not one. And so we're called to be righteous. The standard is righteousness, but we are unrighteous people. Now, one of my quotes this morning, I'm going to quote a lot of people that you're going to be surprised that I'm quoting. And the first is Aristotle. And Aristotle says this concerning anger. He says, anybody can become angry. That is easy. But to be angry with the right person and to the right degree and at the right time and for the right purpose and in the right way That is not within everybody's power, and it is not easy. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Pretty good quote. Oh, except for one thing. Aristotle just tilted the stick. Do you see what he said? It's not within everybody's reach, but some of us can do it, is what he's saying. You see, a a Christian understanding of your own heart would say everything that Aristotle just said except for the end of the sentence. That is within nobody's power except for Jesus. Because our sin problem and the standard of righteousness to do all those things the right way, can't do it. Can't do it. And if you think you can, wait till we get to the end of the sermon. I will hope to convince you that our righteous problem, righteousness problem is that significant. We must, you must understand your righteousness problem. It's not a little problem. It is huge. It's like trying to jump the Grand Canyon. It's that significant. It's that impossible in and of yourself. There's a mechanic that I used to go to, and uh, he would have all kinds of people bringing cars in and Little Due West, and he would always say the same thing when you brought your car. Well, what's your problem? And he would get different answers to that question. You know, well, it's the radiator. Well, it's the engine. Well, it's the check engine light. Everybody had different problems when they would go see the mechanic. All of us do. 
But in the church, in humanity, in the world, you know, there's really one answer to the question, what's your problem? It's a righteousness problem, right? My problem is my righteousness. I lack it. I'm not a righteous person. And that's what Jesus is trying to convince his disciples. Don't tilt the stick. Don't let the world tilt the stick. Don't let your own, your own gut instinct tilt the stick. You are coming up short, and you always will. Christians understand that. We have to understand that. My righteousness problem ruins everything I do. Everything I do. The motives of my heart, the passions of my heart, the living of my life. I have a righteousness problem. And so do you. Adam ruined everything. The third point. Jesus said to his disciples, you've heard it said, but I say to you. Now this is where Jesus is ramping up. He's saying, look, the Pharisees have had a standard of the law and of righteousness here. And you can't even exceed, you can't meet that degree of righteousness. But the standard is actually really here. That's what Jesus is telling his disciples. You've heard it said, the standard's here. But I say to you, the standard is here. It's the Grand Canyon. This is significant. Jesus is turning the screws, so to speak, on his own disciples and saying, you have a righteousness problem and you need to admit it. You have to understand the holiness of God. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, our reflection this morning, it says, unless you surpass the righteousness of the Pharisees. And we, we can't even meet that. The Pharisees were a disciplined people. They had reduced the law, but even to the point that they reduced it, the average person just couldn't keep it. And Jesus has ramped it up and said, the standard is even higher than you know. And to make Jesus' point, He goes right to the human heart. And this is the fourth point. He says that murder is one thing, but anger is murder in the heart. Our anger murders, here it is, the imago dei of humans. When we are angry towards a human being, we are murdering them in our heart, Jesus says. We are murdering the image of God, the dignity, the value, the worth that that human being has created by God. Now, there are two kinds of anger, generally speaking. You could probably argue there are three or four, but for this morning's sermon, let's say there are two kinds of anger. The first is an explosive and verbal anger. This is that fist-through-drywall kind of anger that some people have. They are quick to get angry. They are explosive when they get angry. Um, You can think of road rage as an example. Slamming cabinets and cupboards. Um, You can think of uh, video game rage for kids, which is a thing. Right? Explosive and verbal anger. Some people, remember we've talked in the past about how sin has affected us all differently and the dashboard of our souls has all these knobs and switches and dials and some people's anger knob is turned up to a 10 and they'll get hot fast. Other people it's turned down. And those people whose knobs are turned down, well, they have anger number two. 
It's a silent and smiling anger. Right? It's a silent and smiling anger. It's passive more than aggressive. It's the anger that says, well, bless your heart. You remember a couple of years ago, Nikki Haley made the news when she responded to the president uh, who had criticized her, and, and her tweet was, well, bless your heart. And all the media wrote about it and said, that's a southern barb. Do you remember this? Exactly right. Some people will smile at you, and they will hate you in their heart. But it's anger. Jesus reveals that that is a kind of anger. Jesus then goes on, he mentioned anger, and now he says that we commit, or commit murder even when we insult people. And that's why the Heidelberg Catechism went out of its way to say belittling your neighbor, dishonoring your neighbor, insulting your neighbor is a kind of murder. And here Jesus uses an Aramaic term of abuse, that word raka. The word raka really means worthless. It's a worthless person. They are empty of meaning. They are empty of value. And that is to murder a person when you think and feel that they are worthless. I got slightly ahead of myself. I want to share a quote concerning uh, that anger. Jonathan Parnell says this when we're angry. He says, speak when you are angry and you will make the best speech you will ever regret. Isn't that true? Holding your tongue is hard to do. Now there's, there's discipline and you can do it and learn to do it. But if you vent when you are wanting to vent, you're probably going to say something or type something or write something that you don't need to say because you're going to regret it. And of course, there's Darth Sidious. You remember what he said about anger, Star Wars nerds. He said, give in to your anger. Let your hate flow. Remember that? That's when we want to vent. We want to let it out, right? Darth Sidious is appealing to that base instinct of, man, let you deserve to vent on that person. And it feels good for a minute, for a moment, right? Until regret comes in. These are the things that Jesus says are true about us. That we, in our thoughts, our words, our deeds, we can murder people. And we call them worthless. Worthless people. He's worthless. She's worthless. Jesus says that's murder in the heart towards a human being. And then He goes on and He gives a third example. Jesus does. He says anyone who uses the term fool will be guilty and worthy of the fire of hell. That is, you put all that together, and essentially what Jesus is saying is, in our own hearts, we will be angry with others, and we will reduce them, literally, to being worthless idiots. Now, have you ever used that language? Have you ever thought that way towards people? That's what Jesus is talking about. Comedian George Carlin, men brace yourself. Comedian George Carlin said this, 
Have you ever noticed when riding in a car with a man that anyone who drives slower than him is an idiot, and anyone driving faster than him is a maniac? Okay, guilty is charged, right? Um, my kids will tell you, I'll say things like that. It's in our heart to be critical and to come down hard on people. I do remember trying to redeem that in myself years ago, when, and I wonder if my oldest son remembers this, but I would take Hamilton to the elementary school, and there's always this long line of dropping kids off. Oh, it's horrible. Every day. I'm almost at the end of it. We have one more semester, and then I won't be dropping them off at elementary school anymore. But there would always be somebody who, who slowed the whole line down, you know, they would have to get out and, and put the book bag on a child when, when the child was of age to be able to do this. And then, you know, rub the kid and talk to the kid. And you just, everything's backed up. And I remember I came up with a term. And I said, don't be a Charlie Barley, Hamilton. Well, Dad, what's a Charlie Barley? That's somebody who slows everybody else down, right? And so we use the language of a Charlie Barley, but it's the same thing, right? It's anger in the heart. It's frustration. Why are these worthless people slowing me down? Don't be a Charlie Barley. You try to clean it up a little bit, but the heart is the same. The heart is bent towards conflict and frustration and complaint and Jesus is driving with his disciples to the human heart. He says, you're an angry people, you insult each other, and you have disdain for human beings in your heart. And it is not good. Some people are better at zinging others than other people are. Uh, I'm a pretty good zinger. And it's not okay. Some of you are good at zinging people. It's not okay. But whether you're a smiling assassin in quiet, or if you're an explosive fist through drywall kind of anger, Jesus says you have the same heart problem. It's a righteousness problem. We're not a righteous people. We're not a righteous people. We're all guilty. If you know what it is to get angry, if you know what it is to cast an insult towards another human being, if you know what it is to have disdain towards someone, you're guilty. You're guilty. Jay Adams, who some of you are familiar with, he's passed away recently. He began a sermon on this text, and I can't remember if I read it or if I saw it or if I was there, but it's imprinted in my memory. He, he began a sermon on this text, and I was going to do this too, but he said this. As he approached the pulpit for the morning sermon, he says, his first words were, I don't wish to alarm you, but there is a murderer among us this morning, and he's standing in the pulpit right now. And he went on to explain, anger, disdain, is murder in the heart. And so I can say that. There's a murderer in the pulpit this morning. And there's a whole lot of murderers out here. That's Jesus' point. We have a problem of righteousness. We have a problem with the human heart. We're guilty of anger all the time in some way towards someone. But wait. 
there's more. Our fifth point, our last point this morning, is the call for reconciliation. So if, you're, if you've let yourself off the hook so far, hold on. Here it comes. Jesus says in verses 23 to 24, let me read that again. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar, and first go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Listen to what Jesus is saying. He is saying that the offender, not the offended, the offender is to take action. They are not to wait even at worship. They are to take action before they even presume to be able to worship the holy living God. They are to stop what they're doing at the altar, which was bringing a sacrifice to the Lord. Stop pretending to worship. And then it says, go and be reconciled to that brother or that sister. Showing that this is a kingdom priority. So Jesus is telling his disciples, look, before you pretend to be able to worship the living God, you need to consider not who you're upset with, not who you're mad at, but have you offended anyone? Have you angered anyone? Have you insulted anyone? Are you at odds with anyone? And if you are, uh uh uh, don't worship. Go and make right with them, be reconciled with them. Now, when do you not have someone upset with you that you've offended or angered or insulted? And if you did, your worship was empty. You see what Jesus is saying? We can't even get worship right. We can't come before the Lord when people are upset with us. We're to stop what we're doing and go and reconcile. Which means, whoa, whoa. There's no hope. There's always somebody at odds, conflicted, offended, or wounded by a sinner. And so Jesus, do you see what he's doing? He's raising the bar to the Grand Canyon level. What worship have I ever offered and brought where I could meet these demands, these expectations of righteousness. Never, ever. And so my worship, even my worship is tainted. And God has to show mercy and grace to receive it. And what makes it all amazing is the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians, listen to this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here, and all this is from God who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to Himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And He has committed to us the message of of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God, because God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him 
we might become the righteousness of God. Do you hear what God has done for a sinful people? He's in Christ forgiven sins and then made us the ones who are at odds in conflict with our humanity because we're still sinners. And now we take the message of reconciliation. We're the ones who are to bear that message to the world. And we're inconsistent with it because we still are at odds with our neighbor and our co-worker and our coaches, our teachers, our pastors, our students. There's conflict everywhere. And yet we're called to be the agents of reconciliation. That's what God says. And so there's standards of righteousness and we don't meet them. In fact, as you hear more and more what Jesus has to say, He says it's our own hearts that condemn us. We're condemned by our own hearts, our own passions, the very people that we are. James chapter 4 verses 1 through 2 say this, says this, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. See, James is saying the problem is the center of the human being. It's the center of the man, the woman, the child. It's a righteousness problem that starts in the heart, and our hearts condemn us. Think about that. My heart condemns me. Your heart condemns you. But there's good news. 1 John chapter 3, verse 20 says this, If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts. And that's the good news. The good news is that your righteousness problem, my righteousness problem, the best thing we can do with it is admit it and stop pretending otherwise. Stop tilting the sticks and be quick to speak of your sin and your need for a Savior and God's provision of a Savior. My last quote, and I'll end with this. It's R.C. Sproul. And he says this. I love this. This is great for this series. He says, For a Christian to be a Christian, he must first be a sinner. Being a sinner is a prerequisite for being a church member. The Christian church is one of the few organizations in the world that requires a public acknowledgement of sin as a condition for membership. Boy, that just alleviates any need for self-righteousness, doesn't it? Stop pretending to be self-righteous. Stop tilting the stick with yourself, with your family, with anyone. Let the stick of righteousness, the standard of righteousness, stand where it is and show that you come up short, that I come up short. And then we point to Jesus, who Himself exceeds the standard of righteousness. That's what Jesus is telling His disciples here on the Sermon of the Mount. It's bad news, and it's worse than you think. But there's hope. Because He's come to be a substitutionary, righteous sacrifice for His people. Only Christians understand that. 
Only Christians find joy in it. The world thinks it's silly. It makes no sense whatsoever. What say you? What say you? Let's pray together. Lord, would you make us this honest to be able to speak openly, not just to Christians, but to the world, and to be able to say, look, we are unrighteous people. The news is bad. But the good news is that there is a substitute for our sinfulness, one who gives us his perfect righteousness, who alone meets every standard. And Lord, our only hope is in him. When our hearts condemn us, Lord, we give you thanks that you are greater than our hearts. And so we give you thanks and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.